welcome new listeners or welcome back regular fans to Work at Life. Whether you're an employee or an employer or you just care about the topic, this is a show for everyone who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work and that the way to get there is through building more human workplaces. What's different about our show is that we look at burning issues through the lens of both the individual and the organization. So the show is co-hosted by me, Maddie Grant, as a culture designer and co-founder of a culture consultancy called Propel, and Sonia Lucina, an organizational psychologist heading up the workforce division at Question Pro. So welcome, everybody. Uh, So we're actually trying something new over the summer to give ourselves a little bit of time off. So today it's just me and I don't have Sonia, so we'll miss her. Um, but it allows me to, you know, dig into some of the topics that I care the most about, um, and hopefully she'll get a chance to do the same on her side with some other guests. Um, but today I'm very excited. Uh, we have Lindsay Kaplan here, and I'm going to ask you, Lindsay, to give a quick bio, a quick introduction um, of who you are and uh, the topic that we're going to talk about today. Sure. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here. Yes, my name is Lindsay Kaplan. I'm the founder of a consultancy called The Gathering Effect, and we help organizations maximize their gatherings so that change sticks inside of companies. And my background is a little different. Uh, I'm a, I used to be a screenwriter, um, and then I became an organizational psychologist, and I blend those two worlds together to help script experiences that improve morale, retention, and engagement. Well, not just a screenwriter, right? Tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I um, started my career in Hollywood as a comedy writer on a couple shows that you may have heard of, uh, Malcolm in the Middle, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and saw you know firsthand about how to create experiences that that entertain folks and then obviously uh, moved into other kinds of outcomes and effects as well. Yeah. So I really love that, that history. I think part of being more human in the workplace is, and we talk about this a lot on this show, but is, you know, how do you get people's individual perspectives and backgrounds and stories you know, into the mix. Um, so anyway, little aside, but I just really love that. I think that's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, we are going to kick our conversation off with a data point. So for this conversation, um, we first asked, uh, does your company host any of the following types of gatherings? And uh, this is to uh, over 300 workers in the U.S., Um, So the types of gatherings were training classes, all staff meetings, conferences, leadership and management workshops, webinars, or senior staff retreats. So we were looking at gatherings that basically have a purpose, right? Um, Not just like social time, happy hour, and not just not just regular meetings that you have all the time, but kind of, you know, out of the ordinary, I guess, um, uh, gatherings. So the percentages were 35% training classes, uh, 28% all staff meetings, 21% conferences, 16% leadership and management workshops, 10% webinars, and 8% senior staff retreats. And what I actually thought was interesting here is that the question was about whether your company hosts these. 
Um, and I was actually really surprised that um, that webinars was so low on the list, right? Um, and you know, conferences was right there in the middle, and then training classes, of course, was the biggest one. But Lindsay, did you have any reaction to these to these numbers, to these percentages? It's interesting. I actually was surprised webinars seemed high to me. I thought, wow, oh. one in ten companies host webinars. They're such a ubiquitous tool, and we could talk about that and maybe some opinions on those, but that was surprising <laughs> to me. Maybe, Maddie, it's just helpful to sort of say for a moment what all of these have in common, just to yes. ground us for a second. Yes, please. Yeah. So these are all different types of gatherings, right? But what they have in common is they all are bringing people together to match a message with a moment to create an effect. So you know, dinners and meetings, they don't fall into this category. What these gatherings have in common is there's some piece of content I wanna share in order to produce some sort of change in people. And that's why this is a, a fascinating topic because as we've seen from the data, they're pretty common in companies. Well, and not only that, but I think they don't really do what you're saying very well, <laughs> do they? <laughs> Tell me more. What a, what a cliffhanger. Uh, yes. I mean, we can get into that now. Um, well, let me just share the, the second data point because um, just, you know, because it's the good timing for it. But so the second question we asked was what percentage of the organizational gatherings you've attended um, have led to real sustained change for you or your organization? Um, the highest uh, percentage was 26 to 50 percent. Um, that it was 19 percent of people said 26 to 50 percent. Um, 19 percent of people also said zero to 25 percent. Uh, 15 percent said 51 to 75 percent, and then only seven percent said 76 to 100 percent. So essentially, the way I read this is a lot of people go to a lot of gatherings that don't really create or lead to sustained change, right? And thus the gathering effect was born. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, more. Yes. That, that's what my, my research and my own personal experience has shown me as well, which means there's a real need, I think, to leverage this tool to make it more effective. And for the folks who've never experienced a gathering that has led to that kind of change, you know, to give them that experience so they see what they're missing and what's possible, because it is possible for them to lead to lasting transformational change. So should we talk a little bit about why these gatherings don't work first? Sure. Like, what have you seen in your research? Yeah, so I, I've been studying gatherings for about 15 years across entertainment where I started, but more specifically in education and in business. So it's been about 10 years in learning and organizational development and uh, have a master's degree in organizational psychology. So looking at this tool and how it can be more effective because um, we need it to spark some movement or change in our companies. I think a few reasons why it tends to fall short one is really an overemphasis on content um, and information doesn't move for change people. <laughs> uh, it's uh, not the lever. What actually helps people move or change is their connection to the content. And that's what these gatherings are really meant to do. That's their superpower. That's why we're gathering is for that connection. And often what I teach people is how to create that connection in the room. 
But more specifically, I think the, the main reason why they're not effective is we're taking a default approach that doesn't work. We tend to take a very push and one size fits all approach to these gatherings and our change efforts when what produces engagement is more of a pull and personalized approach. So talk a little bit more about that. Is it like, is the connection just relevance to your day job, for example, or like what, what's it all about? Yeah, connection is, connection is, yes. How applicable is this to me? Connection comes from being a part of the gathering. So how active am I in the experience? Am I co-creating? Am I involved? That's the pull. And then the personalize is my emotional connection to the material. So how relevant is it to me? How important is it to me? How much do I feel seen by the content? And that's where connection comes from, through the conditions that we're creating in the room, not through the content. Um, but in most companies, I would say our default approach to change or our default approach to gathering, which I argue are the same, is to just push content on people, have them sit in a room, listen, open their brain, dump in content, and have it be just sort of the same for everyone, no matter who's, who's in the room. So people don't feel seen, they don't feel recognized, and that leads to a real a lack of engagement, whether you're virtual or in person. Mm -hmm. And so do you think um, do you think there's a difference between, or I guess the question is more like, is what you're talking about kind of a, a sensitivity across the board to how everybody in the room or virtually is um, interacting with the content or is are there differences between different levels of people like like more senior people versus more junior people does that make sense mm, could you say a little bit more about that yeah I'm just I'm just picturing a lot of the um, workshops that I've done um, and if, there, if there's an interest with culture work there's an, a very interesting um, dynamic between how much you want senior leaders involved, obviously to show their support for the topic, right? Which is always a change effort. But at the same time, they're used to being at the front of the room, right? And so you don't want them to take over or for it to be just the voice of the, the managers or the leaders or the CEO. You kind of want them at the same time to to sit back a little. Um, so mm. I'm constantly sort of managing that. And so does that make sense? So I was just sort of thinking to myself, like in terms of, you know, how you're describing it, like, do you, do you have different people take on different roles, I guess? Yeah, let's maybe use a, a concrete example, hopefully to answer your question. You know, if let's say you're rolling out new company values, which I think is something that's happening all the time. It's a culture change effort. And often we use gatherings to launch those values, right? Let's do a big town hall and announce them. And like I said, you can take a push or a pull approach. Or you can take a one size fits all or a personalized approach. You know, I think a, a push and one size fits all is leadership stands on a stage and I've experienced this before, and they say, here's the new values, good luck. And, um, you know, they spend a lot of effort on what the values are going to be, but not how we're going to bring that change to people, why they'd be motivated to do something differently, why they would connect to it, what it means for them. It feels forced on them. They don't know. They're, they're just sort of left in the dark. 
and left to comply, right? Yeah. But an engaging gathering, a difference of approach, a poll approach is to, you know, it could be as simple as surveying a subset of employees to find out, not all employees, but a subset of employees to find out, you know, uh, what have you seen in the organization to collect some feedback, to find some surrogate employees to lead the change, to build some of the projects, to seek employee feedback, um, to go talk to other employees, to just the fact that we're asking employees for help, right, and saying we need you, not only increases their status and helps them feel wanted and needed, but helps them feel like their contributions are important. And we know involvement leads towards commitment, right? So yeah. these are these are choices we're making, not just in our gatherings, but choices we're making in our change efforts that I think can have a, a really huge effect on the success. Well, and in, in my experience, it's also um, you, if you survey people, then you, you need, it gives you that accountability where you need to actually take some action based on their answers, right? Because if people get, answer the surveys and then nothing changes, you know, they get frustrated. So involving them at that early point is just getting more and more important, I think. Let me maybe take a step back because I experienced this very thing that you're describing where a company said, we're going to survey all employees on the values. And then the CEO basically took that feedback and said, never mind. These are the five that I want to use. (laughs) <laughs> and the employees were like, well, that's why did you ask me then? Yeah. And I think this is really important to clarify before you begin the change effort. What do you need from the employees and what can your culture support? So if you are very firmly placed in a compliance culture where all of your change efforts are push and one size fits all, then trying mm-hmm. to do an engaging change effort really isn't going to work because your culture can't support it. So, you know, based on your work, obviously, this is a, your expertise, but really understanding what's the effect that we want, what can we design for, is this possible, is an important first consideration. Because not every change effort, not every gathering needs to be engaging. But if that's what we want, then we can we can make that happen. Well, it's funny when you say not every effort needs to be engaging. Um it's funny because, and we talked about this a little bit um, when we got together a while ago, but in our work recently around the hybrid workplace, um, one of the things that's become really, really critical is um, basically like an audit of your meetings and like, mm-hmm. are there meetings that should be emails? <laughs> are there meetings that could just be a phone call or a document, you know? <laughs> Like what, like really understanding like why you're bringing people together um, and is it, you know, is it important? Because I think I'm sure you've seen uh, with everybody being remote, I think we're in actually more meetings than we've ever been in, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So like, is there there a good way to kind of, like figure out which, which format is best for which kinds of content? From your perspective, there's nothing I love more than talking about gathering strategy. So I I love this question. So we we talked about push and pull, right? And so these come into play in our, not just our change efforts, but our gatherings. If our goal is to just push content on on people to help them comply or be informed, we can do that asynchronously. We do it through an email, 
a, a webinar, some other form of communication we're not all together. But if what we need is engagement, their buy-in, their behavior change, maybe their ownership, that's worth pulling people together for. So the motto I tend to teach people is we want to pull together and push apart. And that helps us to decide what really needs to be a synchronous gathering. And oftentimes a lot of them don't need to be. Yeah. Do you, do you find any um, resistance when you're working with organizations on this stuff? I mean, it's very much like a, we've always done it this way kind of thing, right? Yeah. The, the listeners can't see my uh, vigorous head nodding to Maddie's question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with, with any change effort, I think, there tends to be, with a lot of change efforts, there tends to be some some resistance, um, especially to be told that they need to do something differently. A lot of my work, the most important part of my work, I would say, is exposing the blind spots and the opportunity to do something differently. And one of the ways I do that is just to say, hey, is show them the data that you presented, Maddie, right? Well, very few of your gatherings are producing this kinds of change. Oh, okay, we should do something differently. But certainly gathering is steeped in ritual. It's steeped in what we learn in our educational institutions. There's a way that we're used to doing it. And I think one of the, one of maybe a benefit of the pandemic is it gave us an opportunity to try something different. So have you done work around like actual, I mean, I know you have, but like not just the structure of the gathering specifically, but even like you know, a standard agenda and stuff like that? Like, are there sort of quick tips you have on, on that front? Sure. Yeah. So I do anything from design from scratch to redesign and fix and enhance to change strategy. It's all sort of this, a, a lot of the same model that I use in same, same process. Uh, my work tends to focus on three specific areas. Maybe I'll, I'll go through those and, yeah. and agenda and structure is one of those. So maybe we'll just start there. So yes, one of those key pieces that I look for is structure. So structure is how we set expectations, how we get people from A to B in our gathering, how clear are we? And one of the pitfalls I tend to see is very few of our gatherings, let's say our company all hands, since that was a very popular one in our survey, very few tend to start with, here's what we're going to walk away with, here's what we're going to do, and here's why. Um, and on the flip side, very few end with a call to action and a main takeaway. And so these kinds of things really matter to retention, clarity, um, getting people to do something differently, which is what we want these gatherings to do. So structure is one component. And as I say this, you know, think about think about what you see in your gatherings and maybe opportunities to, to evolve. The second lever is space. So not physical space of tables and chairs really, but how we help people absorb and retain information, which is a key, a, a, a key thing in these gatherings has been so long on the slide deck, obviously. And so one quick tip is to help people debrief the content. If you've got a heavy content section, which I don't recommend, but let's say it's inevit inevitable, give people a couple of questions on the screen, pause, have them talk to somebody else or think on their own to personalize the content to their own situation. And then the last is framing, which is how we use our language to get buy-in. So how well do we know the needs of the people that we've gathered? Um, one way to do that is, you know, in the training class example, here's our objectives for the class. What am I missing? What else are you here to learn? What do I need to know about this group of people? And that small question, that poll question, 
gives people a role, helps them feel seen, helps them want to contribute. And so, so many of my tips are not about changing the content, but about changing the conditions that we talked about to increase the sense of engagement. Yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting as you're talking, I'm, I feel like a lot of these, um, of this advice is definitely resonates as somebody who does a lot of speaking or used to uh, personally <laughs> trying to do less and travel less, but, um, but like conferences, right. And sessions at, at conferences. Um, but these are tips that you don't really hear so much when it comes to like internal meetings and mm -hmm. gatherings. Um, do you think that's part of the way to get the message across is to kind of treat your internal meeting as if you were, you know, presenting a session or um, coming up with the structure for, you know, a conference um, presentation or a discussion or, you know, fishbowl or whatever? Yeah, I think gathering is a communication skill. At the heart of gathering, that's what we're doing. We're trying to communicate a message to produce an effect in other people. So, you know, your motivational conference speaker or your informational conference speaker, um, a leader's job often is to produce very similar types of effects. And so, yeah, and in that way, they're very, very similar. And one of my favorite lessons actually came from a, a conference where I saw someone speak and saw some of this in action. Maybe I'll, I'll share that with you if that's helpful. Um, uh, I think we all know uh, Adam Grant. Same yeah. last name of you, but but different first name. <laughs> no uh, 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 the uh, Warden Professor and Organizational Psychologist. So I've seen him speak at a few different conferences, and you know, and maybe I'll reveal one of his secrets. But he tends to start every session by lowering his status. He says, "You know, I'm not. You know, I just teach this stuff. I, I don't. I don't really know. You know, someone said, and, and that." Uh, really uh, equalizes the playing field in his speech from the beginning. It helps people feel more comfortable. It, it helps him connect to his audience. He's not changing the content. He's just making small choices that that help you feel more comfortable and connect the material a little bit more. So I tend to be uh, nerved out about these kinds of choices and see what folks like him do. So you can borrow that. Well, yeah, that's so interesting because I swear I've heard the opposite advice, which is that as a speaker, you should right at the top, you know, have like your credentials, like explain who you are so that people <laughs> think they should listen to you. Well, what, what I don't know that I necessarily agree with either, but it, it just is interesting. Well, this is actually really fascinating because I think with someone like Adam, he's already got the credentials. So yeah. his status is so high that he purposely needs to lower it a little bit to make you right. feel like you're all one group. So yeah, I think that's, that's well, and I think really, that's probably yeah. true, like with a CEO too, right? So that he, a CEO, he or she can say, um, you know, I'm not here to just tell you what it is. I want to learn yeah. from you, blah, 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 right? So yeah. it kind of does the same thing. It takes some vulnerability, uh, but again, the intent is to connect and one of my other favorite tips is something called autobiographical disclosure, which I learned from a grad school professor named Stephen Brookfield. And, you know, if you're asking folks to do something or engage in a change or you're 
introducing a concept, then you can go first and say, here's where I first learned this concept. Here's how it affects me. Here's where I learned this lesson. Here's a story about me. And it's not to make it all me, 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 but it's again to lower your status, help people feel like you're just like them and show that you're human too. So uh, I love these, I love these tricks personally. Well, how do you feel about storytelling in general to, to make a point? You think it's, so I'll, I'll just preface by saying I'm one of these, like, let's cut to the chase kind of people. So I, I read a lot of business books and a lot of it is storytelling. And I'm like, okay, where do I skip to like the cliff notes? Cause I don't have time you know, for the long winded story, but that's, I know that's just me. And I know that stories are really awesome. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Well, let me tell you a story about that, Maddie. Just kidding. Um, well, stories are how culture gets passed on. Yeah. And story and stories are often how we learn. You know, the fables and and stories of our childhood. That's how you so remember, it, right? You exactly. remember story so much more than just the just the tip or just the thing you're supposed to learn from the story. Absolutely. But I under, also understand that people are busy and they just want to be told what the, the TLDR is and they want to be told what to do. So I, I think you have to balance that. But um, so not 12 stories, but maybe yeah. maybe one or two. And, and the reason I say that is um, a lot of the personalization techniques I talk about are um, include using metaphors and analogies mm -hmm. because it helps make the concept more universal. Yeah, it helps people nod their head more quickly. So these these stories do have do have value. Awesome. So one last question, um, as we're heading towards time, of course. Um, but I I did want to know what you think about different learning styles um, and or you know introverts versus extroverts. Like, do you do you talk about that stuff? Is that part of your research? Like, how people you know learn differently or what their, their learning styles are? Yeah, absolutely. So the introversion, extroversion piece, I think is really important, especially when you're talking about the design of these sorts of experiences, specifically training classes. You know, um, for example, if you're asking people to talk to somebody else and debrief a, a, a piece of content, I will always say, hey, think on your own for a minute first and then turn to somebody else. And the extroverts, I'm an extrovert, hate that because they just want to start talking. Mm -hmm. But the introverts want that time to prepare, they need the longer runway. So that's sort of one small change I make where I give people the questions ahead of time. In terms of learning styles, I, I believe a lot of that is kind of uh, fluff, right? Like we can we can learn you know, visually or, or auditorily or uh, kinetically, and those things are all important. But what's more important is connecting the learning to what people care about in their personal context. So that's where I tend to spend my focus. But what do you think? I'm curious. I, I love that you said that because I feel exactly the same way. Like oh, I good. definitely <laughs> do not do not disagree that a lot of people believe they have a specific learning style. But ultimately, I don't think that's really what matters if you're able to um, to really get your message across in a way that that is makes sense to them and is relevant to them and that they can connect to. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> I love it. Good, 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 good. <laughs> 
Um, so we are just about at time. And so I wanted to give you the opportunity to um, maybe share like one tip or one like takeaway for people, uh, like, you know, like final thought. Yeah, my, thanks for asking. My most important tip is to start with the end. So I'm a screenwriter by a trade long time ago. What happens at the end of the movie? Right? That's what we want to start with when it comes to our gathering and our change effort. What do we need from the people we're trying to affect? What is the effect we want? How do we know that we've succeeded? Start there instead of the content, because that clarity is really important to the success of your effort. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. This was really, really awesome. I really appreciate you coming on uh, Work at Life. And hopefully we'll be able to take all these tips and I definitely learn some stuff that I'll take back to, to my work. So I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you and bye everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.